Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, episode number 26. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. Debbie from the Mama Circle is going to be talking to us all about tongue ties and how they can be lifelong challenges. If you don't know Debbie, she is a breastfeeding and tongue tie doula supporting mums to overcome breastfeeding difficulties. Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, Debbie. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Now, I like that I've got you on because I feel like tongue ties is still something that a lot of people don't really know about. And so, Can you tell us a bit about how you got into this work? I came to this work similarly to how most um, practitioners and professionals come into this work, which is by discovering that their own child has a tongue tie. So when my, my daughter was born and we established breastfeeding okay, but we had all these niggly problems, like she was really refluxy and she would vomit a lot after feeds and she... Um, she would fall asleep really quickly on the breast and she would like struggle with the flow of milk and be spitting out milk. And we had all these little niggly symptoms, but I had a friend who had a really terrible, terrible breastfeeding experience. And so comparatively, I thought we were doing okay. And it wasn't until she was eight months old that I found out tongue ties even exist. She was 10 months old by the time I found, I'd again gone through a couple of people between the eight months and the 10 months trying to find someone who could do a proper assessment on her and then she was 12 months old when um, we actually had her ties released and then I saw the improvements in her um, in breastfeeding in sleeping just in her overall demeanor that she was more relaxed after having her ties released and it really triggered this big question in me why did none of the other medical professionals I'd seen I counted like that there was 15 different medical professionals I'd seen between her birth and when we eventually had her tires diagnosed and that's a low number compared to a lot of other mums um why did nobody pick up her tires why did nobody talk to me about tires why was tongue tie a phrase that had never come up in any consult about her colic or her reflux or anything and so I started to go down the rabbit hole and to research and this she's turning eight next week so this is um seven years ago now and i realized that although ties exist there's a lot of um misinformation out there there's a lot of old information and and practitioners and professionals who have that old information they're not really interested a lot of the time in updating their information and so it just took me on a whole journey And then I had my second child in 2014 and because I knew about ties and I knew that he was very likely to have ties because subsequent siblings are likely to be tied, more likely to be tied, um, I knew what to do and I had a team set up and we went and had his assessment and his tie release done when he was 11 days old. And the difference in the journey between my first and my second child with breastfeeding was like night and day. Like he slept normally, he pooed normally, um, he didn't vomit all over the place. I didn't have to change my clothes six times a day and his clothes six times a day. And I could then, like I really, I had my own little, you know, comparative study of two to see the difference that it made. And I really enjoyed motherhood so much more the second time around, which doesn't make sense 
logically when you think about you're also dealing with a toddler as well and that spurred me on and I then over the last um, six years have gone down the path of starting a breastfeeding support group and then moving into actually working in this space as a mentor and this year really coming into recognizing that the work I do is in that doula space because I'm not a medical professional but I am the bridge between the parents and the medical professionals and I help to support them physically, um, practically, emotionally um, through the whole process of overcoming breastfeeding difficulties like establishing breastfeeding and then also through the process of tire release, no matter the age of the child, even if the child is five or six and, you know, they're no longer breastfeeding. Um, I have lots of clients who are in that, that space as well. And it is, as you say, like there's a lot of information out there now, but also it's almost been a victim of its own success in terms of information being shared out there on social media because there's then a pushback on that, that, oh, it's just a fad and it's just um, it's just the latest thing that all the mothers are rushing off to do and that's not the case. So I'm really seeking to get really clear information and show all of the research and get all of that out there so that um, mothers and families are able to make informed choices. I'm not about telling them that they have to breastfeed or that they have to have their baby's tongue tie released but I want them to have all of the information, the correct information, so that they can make an informed choice for their family. And that really is what it's about, isn't it? It's about how can you make a decision if you don't have all the information and we can't just have that one bias side of it. And what a lot of us realise now is, you know, the GPs or midwives or whoever we go to, a lot of them don't have actual training in breastfeeding, let alone something going deeper, such as tongue tie knowledge. And I know that you're my go-to with that because I had absolutely no idea about it until I think I joined your breastfeeding support group and then realized that this was a thing and something to be aware of. And I was even able to reflect on my mother's experience uh, through breastfeeding all of us. Like I'm one of five and she had a lot of different challenges along the way. And so it got me thinking, how deep does this go in your family line as well? And uh, my first experience was it with it. it wasn't personally, it was my nephews that had tongue tie releases. And so that was interesting to see the change with my sister and her breastfeeding journey in that. And it explained so many things because for my first nephew, it wasn't discovered until he went to school and they picked up on the speech challenges. So can you tell us a bit more about what are some of the common challenges that you see that are both have an effect in the short and the long term? Well, really it starts from before birth um, when the baby's um, in utero in development and um, in the process of development, um, we're meant to have um, a, a free moving tongue from like the second trimester onwards. And when that process doesn't work properly and the tongue remains partly or fully tethered to the floor of the mouth, that immediately starts to impact the baby's development. So the tongue forms the palate, um, the, the muscle trumps bone. So the tongue is a very strong, powerful muscle and it's meant to, the tongue placement is meant to be up in the roof of the mouth, up against the palate, which is a revelation 
in itself to many people. And so when the tongue is sitting in the floor of the mouth, not up in the roof in the palate, it's not shaping the palate how it's meant to be, how we see our ancestors, how we see um, people who are in tribes that don't have much um, impact and, and, um, and, and change from Western society. You can see how wide and, and um, just beautiful their whole facial structure is. And so the, the impact on the facial structure already is happening in utero. And so then the baby's born and they have the tongue that's tethered in the base of the mouth and they have a high, narrow palate. And then we try and breastfeed them. So we run into problems like the baby's not able to open their mouth wide enough to take in a good mouthful of the breast. They're not able to form a good seal because they're meant to be able to put the tongue out just onto the bottom lip and then they use the tongue and the lips to form a seal. And then they're meant to be able to elevate the tongue and then drop the tongue to create a vacuum and that's what draws the milk out. So when the tongue is tethered in the base of the mouth, as you said, there's lots of providers that will say, oh, the baby can stick their tongue out, they're probably fine. It's not, and I rant about this, extension is not the only factor to look for because elevation is really critical for tongue function, oral function, and particularly for breastfeeding. If the baby can't elevate their tongue, then they're not going to be able to breastfeed effectively. They're also, in turn, hampered by the fact that they have a high palate. So what we start out with is ineffective breastfeeding. So if mum has a naturally good supply and a fairly good letdown, then we've got a baby who's struggling with the flow of milk. So they end up really refluxy, which is called aerophasia-induced reflux, when they're taking in too much air because they can't control the flow of milk and they also can't get a good seal. So they're taking in air at, along with the milk and they're gulping it all down. Or we have perhaps a mum who has um, naturally a, a lower supply and maybe not so strong a letdown. And these um, can be the babies that um, are struggling to put weight on and fall asleep really quickly on the breast and are seen as the really sort of tired, lethargic babies. Um, but, you know, when they're awake, they're unhappy, they're always hungry, they're always wanting to feed, but they're just not getting enough milk. And so ties are not a like a one-size-fits-all approach. When you look at a symptoms list for tongue ties, sometimes people will say, well, there's like 15 symptoms there and I only tick three of those. But it's because it's, it's really a dyad. You're looking at the mother and the baby. So there's two factors. There's, there's the mum's hormones and the impacts of the birth. And there's a, there's a few factors for the mum as to what her, her milk supply is going to be like and, and how easy it is to um, have a letdown and all of that sort of thing. And then you've got the baby. So sometimes the baby is born... Um, with lower muscle tone and so they're the babies that just sit on the breast and they just drink the letdown and the mum won't have damaged nipples because the baby is not chomping at the breast like a high tone baby so you'll get a high tone baby that's really quite aggressive when it comes to trying to get their milk out because they do have the instinct to feed I get really angry when people say this baby just doesn't want to breastfeed. I guess this baby just doesn't know how to breastfeed. This baby is a lazy feeder. They are not. They are born with the instinct to suck. 
they begin doing it in utero. They suck on their tongue, they suck on their fingers and their thumbs sometimes in utero. Humans are born with the instinct to suck. All mammals are. And when the baby is not feeding effectively, it's not because they are lazy and they can't be bothered because it's literally life or death for them so in, in instinct for them is to feed and to get milk so when we've got a high tone baby who has that instinct to get milk and they want to try and maybe control the flow of milk because they're they're drowning when they can't control the flow of milk they're the ones that will chomp down on the nipple more to try and stop that flow of milk and so these are the mums that end up with um, pain, nipple damage, and then blocked ducts, which can lead to mastitis, especially if they've got any underlying, um, you know, things that would um, contribute to getting mastitis. And then you can also, from the damaged nipples, is when you can end up with thrush because the cracks and the, that open space is really, um, you know, the perfect place for for bacteria to harbour. And then you end up going down the path of having nipple thrush or ductal thrush and that sort of thing. So those are some of the, the breastfeeding symptoms. And then really what we're dealing with is oral dysfunction. So the oral dysfunction in breastfeeding is caused by the tongue tie. But this oral dysfunction is um, something that this human will live with for their whole life. So we carry this oral dysfunction through into toddlerhood, childhood, adolescence and adulthood. And when we are not able to use our tongue properly, we have to compensate a lot. So we compensate with all of our facial muscles, with our neck and even down into our shoulders. Now, I am, um, as an adult, I had my tongue tie released. And when I got up off the chair, I couldn't believe the difference in the tension, the release of tension in my shoulders. It felt like I'd had two strings holding the, the, my shoulders up to my ears and that these strings had just been cut and I could drop my shoulders. Wow, now that's, that's just an one, amazing difference. Yeah, I was stunned. I wish they had filmed it because it was just, I was mind blown. Um, and I wasn't expecting it. It wasn't like a, you know, like that I had you know, watched heaps of videos. I deliberately not looked a huge amount at what other people had experienced because I wanted to be sure that what I was experiencing coming out of it was, you know, definitely, totally my experience. And so when we go into toddlerhood, for example, we then have the babies that have, uh, or children, infants that are having more difficulties with um, solids. So they might be choking and gagging more on solids and that might lead to them being really fussy with foods and only accepting foods of a middle texture. So foods that are too sloppy, they might struggle with and foods that are too hard and too crunchy, they might struggle with. So they want things that are in that middle texture that's not too difficult to swallow because when it's really sloppy, it's difficult to move it around with your tongue and swallow it and not too crunchy because then they've got to work really hard. And when you can't use your tongue to move your food around and you're trying to chew on it, it I, I speak from much experience here, your jaw and your mouth gets really sore and really tired. And so they will, um, again, as a survival instinct, they will go for the foods that are easiest for them to eat, and that's often middle texture foods. They can end up also having difficulties with 
um, drinking from open cups. They, you know, will slurp and drop food and uh, drop drop um, water out of their mouth and that sort of thing. Um, they don't like having their teeth brushed. They might gag on the toothbrush, especially um, infants with lip tie often don't like having their top teeth brushed because the the lip tie is tying the Yes, yeah, so tying the lip to the gum, um, and that can really hurt when you're trying to brush the top teeth. Um, they can have um, issues with constipation, with reflux, um, and then they can also have um, early dental caries, which is something that the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry recognises that lip ties in particular can contribute to early dental caries. So when you've got a lip tie there and you've got those pockets that's created on either side of the lip tie, that's the perfect place for the bacteria to be. And it's not, kind of, if you can imagine, if you take a drink of water and you swish it around in your mouth to clean out your mouth, if you've got these little pockets above your lip, especially when you're a child, you're not going to be able to clean that effectively. That's not going to clear out. So when you see a child that has decay on like the top four teeth, but nowhere else, um, in my opinion, that's often contributed to by lip ties. Um, and then we've got difficulties with sleeping because the tongue and the oral function and airways, like they're all inextricably linked. So the tongue um, position, whether we are nose breathing or mouth breathing, we are meant to be nose breathing. We are obligate nasal breathers, especially infants. When we are breathing through our mouth and especially when we're sleeping, this can lead to um, um, sleep disordered breathing, sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea. And then we have, we have issues because we have enlarged tonsils and adenoids. And sometimes the tonsils and adenoids are enlarged because of allergy issues and because of you know, hay fever and that sort of thing. But sometimes it's due to the mouth breathing, which has happened from infancy because the child is compensating for having the tongue tie and having the oral dysfunction. So sometimes the enlarged tonsils and adenoids is actually a symptom. So a lot of the time in this scenario, even lifelong, things that are symptoms are given as a diagnosis. Well, your baby has reflux, that's a diagnosis. Your baby has a high palate, that's a diagnosis. You have enlarged tonsils and adenoids. None of these things are a diagnosis in and of themselves. They are a symptom of a bigger picture. And that's where most medical professionals run into problems because especially if you're a GP or um, a nurse, a child health nurse, that sort of thing, it's not an area that you received any training in, any training in your original qualifications it, it's an area that you have to have some passion about, you have to have some interest in, and you have to have gone and sought out the training and continue to seek out the training because the advances in this in the last <clears throat> 10 years is phenomenal. The advances in research and knowledge and understanding and collaboration between different professionals of different fields is just phenomenal. Like the picture we have about the lifelong impact of ties and oral dysfunction now compared to when I had my daughter eight years ago is just, it's just incredible. The advances that have been happening recently, especially because yeah. I feel like it's something people are finally talking about more. 
And I find it really interesting as well that you have experience with this, not only with your children, but for you as an adult, because that's what I didn't realize is, of course, that affects us in the long term as adults and it can affect our speech. And like you were mentioning, like dental hygiene and sleep and so many other things can come into it. And it just seems like it should be something that's really important and talked about. So I'm glad that we're finally sort of going in that direction, (laughs) especially when mothers are feeling the challenge so much and they probably feel a lot of guilt and shame thinking that they were doing something wrong. Whereas in fact, it's possibly a tongue tie or when you mentioned something about how kids can have trouble drinking from a cup, then I'm sitting here thinking, and how many kids are getting into trouble for that? Like being Mm. seen as clumsy or something, for example, and it could all be related to this. And even the term um, fussy eater, you know, my child's just a fussy eater. Well, are they? Like what is possibly contributing to them having those difficulties with eating? Um, It's much more than just um, they just want to eat chips. Like chips is a really good middle texture food. (laughs) It's, It's fairly easy to chew. It's fairly easy to move around within your mouth. Um, it's not going to do anything strange or go sloppy on you. And, you know, why? Why does your child want to eat that way? So that's what the question I started to ask a lot when I first learned about this was why did my daughter have that? Why do people um, say that that's, um, you know, reflux is just a thing that you then have to have reflux medication for, which has its own set of risks. And that's what I'm all about is understanding what are the risks either way. So, yeah, as you say, when I found out about my daughter's ties, then at the same time I found out that I was tied, which everything started to fall into place then because I also thought about my mum's breastfeeding journey with me, um, about the difficulties that I had had eating and drinking growing up. I was um, often sort of teased and um, seen as the slowest eater in the family. I was always the last at the table. I was always still trying to finish my food because it took me so long to chew and swallow my food. I wouldn't have said I was a particularly fussy eater, but I didn't like anything that was a really soft um, texture. I didn't like um, avocados. There was was quite a number of foods that um, when I had a conversation with my daughter's practitioner who was doing her tie release, she said, yeah, you don't like this, this, and this, do you? I went, no, how did you know? I've never (laughs) met you before. (laughs) She's like, yeah, no, it's just, it's just the thing. And so after going down the rabbit hole and realizing that, you know, my speech and then I ground my teeth and I would get headaches and I would have so much tension in my neck and my shoulders all the time. Um, and even in my jaw, like I found it difficult to open my jaw wide. I'd have to force my jaw open and try and stretch it open. And so I decided to go and have my own tongue tie release. And it's often the path that people take. We have babies we discover that they're tongue-tied and then we discover that we're tongue-tied because there's, there's a, a whole link, lot of... isn't there as well? Absolutely, yes, yeah, so genetically. Mm. Yeah, so this hasn't been hugely researched yet, um, but anecdotally it's really huge that um, a lot of families who have established that they have MTHFR gene variations, they have um, tongue-tie in the family. So that is um, quite a common thing that's seen anecdotally so far and then we've got like I think there's one piece of research that came out earlier this year that has shown it's only a small piece but it's shown a higher rate 
of ties in um, mothers that were taking prenatal supplements with folic acid. Now, I also don't don't just decide not to take any supplements, but what this is starting to show us is the bigger picture of if we've got the genetic traits and we're then triggering that, that that is you know quite potentially leading to um, an increase in ties in the last couple of generations. So there's a whole generation of tired adults out there that just don't know about it, that are experiencing all of the adult symptoms like the migraines and the clicky jaw and the, you know, the spitting when they're talking and they've got airway problems and sleep apnea and periodontal issues because they're mouth breathers and all of those sorts of things that they're experiencing and they just don't recognise it. So there is an increase in incidence apparently in the last 20 or so years from some of the places in some of the research that's been done in North America. But certainly there's, you know, I think a much higher percentage of people with tongue ties, adults and children, than we have recognised for the last you know, probably 50 years because formula feeding was so massive from the 60s through the 80s and even into the 90s that um, most children that were born with ties in that generation was just <laughs> completely missed. That's a really good point. I didn't even take consider that as a factor. And of course that makes sense. So like you're saying, you need to have information from these multiple sources. And like you were saying before, even with the studies that are coming out, it's a lot of different people coming together with their own expertise or their own examples of patients and their own studies. And hopefully we're going to get a lot more answers soon. And for anyone who's listening that feels like either for themselves or for their child, that maybe this could be something that's going on for them, um, or even if they've been dismissed, what is something that they could be doing? Well, they can come and see me. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> what they need to do um, to start with, if, you know, for example, if it's a, um, an infant that we're talking about and it's breastfeeding difficulties, you need to find an IBCLC, which is an international board-certified lactation consultant that has specific training in this area. Now, lactation consultants are breastfeeding specialists, so they're the people that we should actually be seeing after our baby is born for breastfeeding support, not paediatricians, not GPs, sometimes midwives, but IBCLCs are really the gold standard in breastfeeding support. And lactation consultants do receive some training in breastfeeding during their initial qualifications, but it's still not a great deal. Then it's not all of the information that's been out. So, you know, if, if they've been qualified for 10 years, they are obliged to continue their training, but they get to choose what courses they want to do to, to contribute to their hours each year. So finding a lactation consultant that has specific training in the areas of oral function, and oral restrictions. So there's a whole field called um, myofunctional therapy, and it's kind of a, a subfield. So a lot of there's some people who are actually um, orofacial myology specialists and therapists, and that's all they do. But it's often a subfield that other dental professionals will get training in, like dental hygienists and sometimes physiotherapists and people that occupational therapists, people that work in that physical space. A lot of um, lactation consultants that I work with in Australia actually have training in this area. And it makes sense because when you're dealing with breastfeeding, it's literally the baby's mouth. Like it's the baby's mouth and how the baby's mouth fits onto the mother's breast and how 
they use all of the muscles of the mouth and the tongue in order to feed effectively. So finding a lactation consultant that has training in that area is the, usually the first and critical step to um, getting some good breastfeeding support and figuring out if a tongue tie has been missed in your baby. Um, if you have lots of symptoms yourself as an adult, um, you can seek out um, usually a dentist with training in this area is like sort of the first um, step because the, the, the providers that I recommend in all fields, whether they're the dentist or the lactation consultant or any of the others, they all have a team approach. So you're not going to go to the dentist and they say, oh, that's great, we'll chuck you in the chair and release your tie and, and poof you back out the door again. They will give you a whole regime because when you're an adult, you've had a whole lifetime of dealing with the compensations and you've got all of these habits in place. So you need much more work beforehand in that myofunctional space of improving your function and improving the way that you use your muscles. And then it's the same in childhood as well. They haven't had as long as an adult, but they've had five or six years of those habits and those compensations. And so anytime you have a tie release, you need a team approach. So you need an infancy, a lactation consultant, chiropractor or osteopath and your tie release provider. And then in childhood, you need a speech therapist, a tie release provider, a chiropractor, osteopath, um, you know, maybe OMT, something like that in there. And then same again in adulthood because the tie release fixes the structural issue, but you need to also work to improve the function because it's also interlinked. You can't just release the tongue and then voila, everything is just magically fixed because your tongue now has a range of movement it's never had before. And so your brain doesn't actually have pathways for how to use this tongue with the range of movement that it has. Your brain only has pathways for how the tongue has moved prior to now. So it's really important to work with that team approach and to um, improve the function before and after tie release, depending on you know, the age of the child and the age of the infant. If you're in Australia, um, on my website, which is themamacircle.com.au, which is T-H-E-M-A-M-A-C-I-R-C-L-E, um, on the freebies and resources page, I have a whole list of um, recommended medical professionals for Australia. And if you're in a rural area, there's a couple of lactation consultants that work via Skype and Zoom that are brilliant. You wouldn't think that you could get, you know, like a hands-on, you know, breastfeeding support sort of thing via Zoom, but they are actually really brilliant with it. And it's often been the saving grace for many mums that are in rural areas where they don't have access to local breastfeeding support. And that's one of the issues, isn't it? It's about making sure we have access to these resources. And even just me listening to you list off the different practitioners you could see, I'm thinking, and when do people bring this up? They really don't. And I'm so grateful that, that people like you exist that are willingly and openly sharing this information because it can almost seem overwhelming. And like you said, you have to have that personal passion and drive to pursue furthering your understanding of this anyway, like what happened for you. And it's sort of like how in my area with attachment theory, for example, that's something I'm passionate about and I want to read about. And 
So it makes it a lot easier when we have people speaking out that are becoming experts in that field that can go and do, I'm sure there's been copious amounts of hours of training that you have done and you're able to share that with mothers. And that's such a undervalued resource that really should be more readily available. So for anyone listening who would like to work with you further, can you tell them a bit more of where to find you? So I totally agree. Like, firstly, I want information to be freely available, which is why I share so much on on my social media, um, because um, I don't want it to be like, well, you have to come to me and pay me and I'll give you this information. That is not what I want at all. I want mums to have as much information as possible to be able to find good providers and to get good support. You know, my goal is that they have as much support as they want to be able to reach their breastfeeding goals. So for families who it can be overwhelming when you're looking at all the information out there on the internet and you're looking at the options and I don't know who to go see here or who do I see first or what do I do, that's where I come in and that's where I can help support. Um, we, we can talk through all of what you've experienced so far and I really listen and can empathise with all of that. And then we can discuss what are your goals, what do you want moving forwards, what is your family situation, because everybody is so individual. And then we can talk about a plan. So a plan would involve both the short term, you know, the immediate tips and tricks and things that they can do at home to help improve their situation, and then also the longer term, okay? So you're going to look at travelling to see this Thai release provider in four weeks' time when your partner can get time off work, and then... I also go through the whole journey with with families and with parents. So, um, you know, I help them with um, the planning to go and see the provider and have the tongue tie release and the mindset and the emotional preparation and all of the practical preparation. Because often when you get the practical preparation sorted, then you feel a lot more confident and relaxed in your mind and in yourself that you are... Um, you know, you're going to be able to do this. And mindset in all of these things is really massive because if you're going into it terrified and really unsure and unaware and with, you know, lots of areas of things that you just don't know about, then that, you know, that level of stress is just not healthy for anybody. So my goal is to help parents in all of the stages so that they feel really well supported and really confident. And that improves outcomes a great deal it's such a great resource that you're offering debbie and i can only imagine for anyone listening that you can bring so much comfort to them like you were saying the emotional side of this is so important as well and a lot of the times we can even be sort of dismissed i guess and to have someone like you and as you so beautifully put it you're the in-between person between parents and those medical practitioners so you can be a bit more human with everyone as well in addition to your own personal experience with this that's such a valuable resource that you're offering and so I do hope that anyone listening does go and seek out Debbie I'll make sure to link all of her socials and website and the gentle breastfeeder group down below if you're on Facebook and would like a support group for breastfeeding really you need to go and check out Debbie's work because like she said she offers so much that's online already as it is. And so if you are wanting someone to accompany you in that journey, she's definitely someone that you want on your side. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Gentle Counselor podcast today, Debbie. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your wealth of knowledge with us. Thanks for having me. I can talk about ties all day, every day. (laughs) 